Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. O oh God, the Holy Spirit, come to us and among us. Come as the wind and cleanse us. Come as the fire and burn. Come as the dew and refresh. Convict, convert, and consecrate many hearts and lives to our great good and to thy greater glory. And this we ask for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Our scripture this morning is from Exodus 2, 11 through 15. If you would like to look in the Pew Bible, it is on page 49 in the Old Testament. One day after Moses had become an adult, he went out among his people and he saw their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. He looked around to make sure no one else was there. Then he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When Moses came out the next day, he saw two Hebrew men fighting with each other. Moses said to the one who had started the fight, why are you abusing your fellow Hebrew? He replied, who made you a boss or judge over us? Are you planning to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid when he realized, they obviously know what I did. When Pharaoh heard about it, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses ran away from Pharaoh and settled down in the land of Midian. One day, Moses was sitting by a well. Now there was a Midianite priest who had seven daughters. The daughters came to draw water and fill the troughs so that their father's flock could drink. But some shepherds came along and rudely chased them away. Moses got up, rescued the women, and gave their flock water to drink. When they went back home to their father, Ruel, he asked, how were you able to come back home so soon today? They replied, an Egyptian man rescued us from a bunch of shepherds. Afterward, he even helped us draw water to let the flock drink. Ruel said to his daughters, so where is he? Why did you leave this man? Invite him to eat a meal with us. Moses agreed to come and live with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses as his wife. She gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom because he said, I've been an immigrant living in a foreign land. A long time passed and the Egyptian king died. The Israelites were still groaning because of their hard work. They cried out and their cry to be rescued from the hard work rose up to God. God heard the cry of their grief and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked at the Israelites and God understood. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Paul Myler. I'm the pastoral intern here. And today is my first day preaching. So let's see how it goes. So last week we celebrated our high school graduates. So this week, I want you to think back to when you were a graduate from high school, to what you were like when you were 18 years old. If you were anything like me, maybe you were a little overconfident. Yeah? 
Did you have your life all figured out? Did you know your parents were crazy? Yeah. <laughs> I know that I had my life planned all out. And I know this because, unfortunately, there's documented proof. I graduated from Bwood in 1996, and the facts ran a little article, and uh, there were some student bios in it, and so here's mine. I can't believe I'm doing this, but okay. <laughs> All right, so blah, 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 look to the bottom, the future plans. Here was my plan as an 18-year-old. Attend Texas A&M, whoop, good. <laughs> Study engineering, get a job, marry, have kids, get old, retire, buy an RV. <laughs> That's exactly what I wrote. And what's really amazing is up until very recently, this is exactly the plan I was on. In our text today, I like to imagine that we're meeting an 18-year-old Moses, a Moses who is also a little brash, a little hot-headed, and that he has his life kind of already mapped out. Remember, he was a, uh, a prince. He grew up as the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. And so I bet he went to the right schools, he wore the right clothes, he had the right connections, he knew the right people. So I wonder what his future plans would have been in his high school yearbook. Would it have been, um, let's see, continue to be a, priest, uh, a prince? Uh, help my family rule the largest em empire in the known world? Get old, retire, buy a chariot. No. <laughs> it didn't work in first service either, that's okay. <laughs> if, that was, if that was Moses' plan, it did not last long. There's a series of very unfortunate events that happened to Moses, and he finds himself on a completely different path. So first he goes out and he sees the hard labor of his people, the Hebrews. He knew he, he, knew he was a Hebrew. And he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And he stops that. He stops that injustice, and that's a good thing. But then he goes on to murder the Egyptian and hide his body in the sand, and that's a bad thing. But then he thinks he got away with it, at least for a little while. It's kind of an 18-year-old thing to think, maybe, right? But soon enough, he figures out that he didn't get away with it, that Pharaoh is, is after him for his life, and he's forced to flee. He has to flee his family, his position, his home. And he's a fugitive from justice. And he ends up in a little town called Midian, this unimportant little backwater spot. As different from the capital of Egypt as you can possibly imagine. And the only work he can find is that of a shepherd working for his father-in-law. How do you think Moses felt about that? What was his mental state during all this? This spectacular fall, fall from grace. He went from a prince to a shepherd. Do you think he came out of his tent and looked out over that smelly, dirty flock of sheep and said, I used to be a prince, but being a shepherd is so much better. 
Unlikely, right? I doubt it. And what, what future did he have? What future plans did he have? He was stuck. He was stuck in Midian with no way to get out. It's really telling, I think, that he names his son Gershom, the text tells us. And that translates as an alien there. And so Moses says, he names him that, he says, I name him this because I am an alien in a foreign land. So Moses, I think, struggled with being in Midian. And it goes on for a long time, right? For many years pass. Moses is stuck there. And he, again, he had no way out. So he thought he was going to grow old there in Midian, working for his father-in-law with those dirty, smelly sheep. But God wasn't through with Moses. We know the rest of the story, right? We know the burning bush, and we know the parting of the Red Sea, and the receiving of the Ten Commandments. But Moses had no idea about that. And so he waited. And he was stuck. Stuck in Midian. But one day, God appeared to him in a burning bush. A burning bush. I wish I got a burning bush. Did anybody here get a burning bush? No, I don't think so. Moses was kind of lucky there. But God calls Moses to leave Midian, return to Egypt, and rescue God's chosen people from the Pharaoh. Should have been a happy day for Moses. Finally, he gets to leave this alien land that he lives in, that he was forced to flee to. Should be great. But what does Moses do? He starts to make excuses. And it actually goes on for, two, for a, a chapter and a half in Exodus this kind of rolling argument with God of the excuses that Moses made. First, Moses says, well, why send me? I'm a nobody. And the Lord says, I'll be with you. And then Moses says, well, how will they know that you sent me? What if they don't believe me? And the Lord says, here's three miracles that you can perform to prove that I sent you. And then Moses says, You know, I'm not a very good public speaker. And the Lord says, okay, you're starting to upset me a little bit, but here, take your brother Aaron with you. There's a verse in this argument, which I think has got to be like the top whiny verse in all of Scripture. It's Exodus 3.13. Listen to this. But Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. Can't you just hear the whine? Please, Lord, send someone else. So what's going on here? Why? Moses should have been happy. He should have been overjoyed. But instead, he makes excuses. Well, I think for Moses, Midian had become safe. It had become his comfort zone. He had grown complacent there. And so when the Lord calls him to leave, that call is so far outside of Moses' day-to-day experience, so far outside his comfort zone, he doesn't know what to do with it. And so he chooses to remain stuck. 
I can um, identify very strongly with Moses because I've also struggled with God's call in my life, and I've also felt stuck in my life, stuck in Midian, so to speak. My discernment story really starts in 2008 when my wife and I moved to Antwerp, Belgium. We moved there for work. We wanted to find a church, and so we found the Antwerp International Protestant Church. And we started to attend there, and we quickly fell in love with this church. It was an amazing place. There were Christians from all corners of the earth there, and that all different traditions and speaking different languages, and it was just very spirit-filled. You had everything from Southern Baptist bankers from Alabama to refugees from Iran and North Africa, people who had just converted from Islam to Christianity, and they were just starting their faith walk with Christ. It was an amazing place. There was this Nigerian family, and the father's name was Momo. And you think, Momo, that's a cute name, right? Well, Momo was not a cute guy. Momo was an athlete. He had played for the Nigerian national soccer team, and he was big. He was an imposing, big black guy. And he was not really that uh, into smiling or talking. <laughs> he was a very serious guy. Um, I would say, you know, I'd go up to him and say, Good morning, Momo, how are you? And he would look down at me and say, I'm well, Paul, thank you. Conversation over. That's all you ever got out of Momo. But he asked to be baptized. And on his baptism day, he had gone and bought a new suit of clothes. And he wore all white, white shirt, white pants, white shoes, white belt. And as the pastor was baptizing him, the pastor had to reach way up to get the water on top of Momo's head. But as the pastor said the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this smile spreads across Momo's face. And it lit up the room. His face looked transfigured. And everyone in the congregation knew that in that moment, the Holy Spirit had come and was in Momo's life. It was a very holy moment. So I had that going on on one side of my life. But remember, my day job is I work, I'm working in a chemical plant with the Belgians. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with the Belgians. They're lovely and very friendly people but they're not a religious people. If you tell a Belgian, I'm, I'm a Christian and I go to church, they'll say without any judgment, oh, that's nice, I'm a gardener. Or I'm a cyclist. And it took me a, a, a while to figure out what was going on there, but they equate going to church to a hobby. It's what you do for fun on the weekends. So this idea that we have that, you know, Christianity is something that can change your entire life and your entire way of thinking. That was just a foreign concept to them. And I started to notice that the work environment I was in was just very gray, very soulless, very godless. And I was bouncing back and forth between these two places. You know, over here, spirit-filled. Over here, spiritless. Over here, joy, joyful. 
over here, joyless. And the one that really got me was over here there was hope, but over here there was hopelessness. And it really started to bug me. And I thought, how can I be among these wonderful Christians on a Sunday in this spirit-filled place and then go on Monday morning and pretend it doesn't matter? Because it does matter. It matters to me. And my soul got torn a little bit between these two worlds. And in that tear, in that confusion, an idea occurred to me. A very just small seed of an idea which said, you should become a pastor. That was such a foreign idea to me that I had no way, I didn't know what to do with it. I had no idea how to react to that. I said, God, I'm an engineer. Yeah? Facts, figures, numbers. Not really so good with people. And so just like Moses, I started to make excuses. God was calling me to a new place. That place was outside of what I could imagine. And so the excuses started. I said, Lord, uh, we're moving back to the U.S. We just had our first child. Life is really kind of crazy right now. So let's talk later. Later comes second child. I said, the second child has been born now. We're very busy. Work is crazy. Let's talk a little while longer, a little later. And so this rolling argument, I had a rolling argument with God for five years. And I felt, I felt stuck. I felt stuck professionally, spiritually. And it was a, it was a difficult time for me. I felt like I had exiled myself to Midian and that I was a fugitive from God's call. Friends, I would guess that a lot of you have felt stuck in your life, just like me and just like Moses, stuck in Midian, if you will. And what do I mean by that metaphor? What does Midian represent? I think Midian is that place that we end up in where we don't really know how we got there. There's a series of events in our lives, and maybe it wasn't what we intended, but here we are. And we kind of look around and say, is this all there is? Is this what you intended, Lord? But then on the other side, because we're humans and we're creatures of habit, we also grow comfortable, and we grow complacent, and it becomes safe. And it's extremely hard to break out of that safe place. And so that really becomes the question, how can we get unstuck from Midian? And I'll be the first to tell you, there is no secret recipe, right? There's no secret sauce. There's no seven steps for leaving Midian. Although I like that for a title of a book. I might, I might keep that. It's not that type of moment anyway. It's not something that we can will ourselves out. We can't strive a little harder or work a little more and suddenly we'll get unstuck. We can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps out of Midian. It's really the opposite. We have to let go. We have to trust in God's grace. We have to rest in God's grace 
and allow him to work through us and through the people around us. One lesson that I learned that was very important is we have to keep our eyes and our hearts open to what God is really calling us to do. Rather than just asking him to bless the plans we've already made, right? There's, no, there's nothing wrong with the plan that I made when I was an 18-year-old. Nothing inherently wrong with that. The, the step I missed is I didn't ask God if that was his plan for me. And so when God's true call came to me, I didn't even recognize it. And I didn't know what to do with it. And don't we do that a lot? Don't we do that a lot as individuals and as churches? We say, Lord, here's the plan. We made the plan. It's great. Just bless that and we can get going. But it's not, it's not that simple. We skip that hard step of discernment. And we have to remember that. We have to remember to do the discerning. And discerning is something that happens in community. And this goes back to why it's so important for us to be in covenantal relationships with one another, to be able to tell our God stories. Not all God stories are happy stories. Some of them are struggle stories. And that was another thing I learned, is I kept my story to myself. During my struggle, I told, told my wife, maybe, told my pastors, but very few other people I told. Because I was worried what they would say. You know? Hey, I'm thinking about being a pastor. I don't know. I'm not really seeing it for you, Paul. But what was amazing is when I actually did kind of lower the waterline and start telling my story more, I was amazed at the responses. How many times people would tell me, here's something very similar that happened in my life. Or, man, that's, that's an interesting idea. I've never even thought about that. Maybe God is calling me to something different. It's really been amazing. So again, I think we have to be able to tell those God stories to one another. And the more relationships that we can build, and the more comfortable we are telling those in our faith community, the better off we'll be. So for me, I've really only taken the first steps out of Midian. I have been more and more confirmed in my, my belief that I am being called to some sort of ministry. Not exactly sure what that'll be, not exactly sure what awaits me in Egypt, but it feels good. It feels very, very good to finally be moving my feet and to be unstuck. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord and God, we pray for those Christians who find themselves stuck. Lord, give them a spirit of peace and help them to be confident that your grace will see them through. Help us in the hard work of discernment and remind us to always seek your will rather than our own. Bless our congregation and thank you for the God stories that are always happening among us. Amen.